when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com and now your host evan Grote. let's go raider nation it's that time of the week again that's right the week 14 preview episode of just pod baby and it's a huge game for not only the raiders but also for the eight and four colts this one will have major implications on the afc playoff picture as always, Just Pop Baby is powered by Silver and Black Today, Las Vegas' first and only independent Raiders news source. We've got you covered on all the different media fronts, so make sure you jump on board. We've got a really, really great team assembled bringing you all the latest on your Las Vegas Raiders. Also, head over to Manscaped.com for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Tis the season to gift yourself or someone you know with the best growing groomer out there. Maybe you have a dad, or maybe it's a brother. Heck, maybe even it's time to teach your young son about the importance of maintenance and upkeep. It's time to deck your balls with Manscaped. Save yourself 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code PODBABY over at Manscaped.com. I've got a busy show planned for you this week. We'll be joined by two guests tonight. First, we'll have on Stephen Holder, who covers the Colts for The Athletic. Stephen has a piece up on The Athletic this week right now where he questions whether or not the Colts are true contenders or pretenders. So I'll ask him about some of the inconsistencies that have been an issue for the Colts. And we will also be joined by Kevin Bowen, who is a a former guest of the show. He was on with me last year. Kevin covers the Colts for 107.5 The Fan in Indy. I'll ask Kevin about the early playoff field of this week game has and the implications and the impact it will have on the AFC playoff picture, among other topics. But I want to begin this week with what I believe are the two biggest storylines going into this game. I think the biggest storyline right now going into this game, without a doubt, is the status of Trent Brown at right tackle and running back Josh Jacobs. And we got some really good news uh, today with the injury report. Both Trent Brown and Jacobs were out there practicing today, both on a limited basis, but it was the second consecutive day for Trent Brown. Uh, and although uh, Jacobs was not able to go on Wednesday, he was out there today. So that that is a very good sign uh, for the Raiders and this offense. And, and we know that the run game ha- has been pretty much a non-factor for three weeks now. In fact, the last time they were really uh, a big part of the game was that Kansas City Chiefs game. And and there's, there's several factors that go into why the run game has struggled, but a big part of that has to do with the the health of the offensive line. We we know Denzel good. He's been banged up as of late. He's, he's playing through some injuries and obviously not having Trent Brown out there has been a a major concern as well. There's been a revolving door at right tackle. There's been five different starting right tackles on this line this season. That's that's never a good thing. And then obviously the second part of that is has been uh, the health of Josh Jacobs, especially lately. Uh, he was banged up against the, the Falcons and he ended up missing the game against the Jets. And while we're on the topic of Trent Brown and Josh Jacobs, uh, offensive coordinator Greg Olson, he was asked today when he met with the media about how vital it is to get Trent Brown back to have four out of the five offensive line healthy playing all together at one time. Here's what he had to say. Take a listen. Again, we're talking about Trent being one of the premier tackles in, in all of National Football League. So anytime you lose a guy of that uh, talent and capabilities, uh, it's a blow to your offense. But 
Um, so it just, again, the sight of him being out there and watching him move and um, seeing him do the th type of things that he can do uh, really adds value to what we're trying to do offensively. So it, really it's understated uh, his value to our team and, and what it means to have him back out there. But uh, certainly would love to have him. You know, with Richie going on IR, but to have four of the five would be huge uh, down the stretch. So, so there you heard what Olsen had to say about the potential of getting Brown back this week. He used the words, it cannot be understated, and I can't agree more. The Colts have a very good defensive front, uh, all starting with uh, DeForest Buckner. He, he's the, the main cog there, and they can really bring it along with Justin uh, Houston and, and former Raider Danico Autry. It's a very formidable group, and uh, really this defense ha has playmakers at all three levels. It, it's not only the, the defensive line behind them. They have a very good group of uh, solid linebackers led by Denari uh, Darius Leonard, and in the back end you've got Xavier Rhodes, who's a, a veteran, and they got this the young guy uh, Blackman at safety, and, and they're all playing very well right now. So the offense will have their hands full this week against this Colts defense. Uh, so that is storyline number one for me. And storyline number two is uh, the playoff feel to me that this game has. And I'm sure a lot of you out there listening right now, you also feel this, those same feelings. But both teams badly need to win this game. The Raiders more so than the Colts. But I'm expecting both teams to come out, play this one extremely hard, and leave it all out there on the field. When you look at things from a Colts perspective... The way things are shaping up for them, they've already got eight wins. They still have a, a chance to win the division, although the Titans, who are also 8-4, and four, hold the tiebreaker over the Colts because of a better division record. And the other thing that Indy has in their favor is a really nice-looking schedule. In fact, according to Strength of Schedule, I saw um, Mike Clay, I believe it was, tweeted this out earlier today. They have the fourth easiest schedule remaining to finish the year of any team in the NFL. And for the sake of it, I'll, I'll mention the other teams that are in contention for the wild card spots right now. You have the Raiders. They have the 11th easiest remaining schedule. Miami has uh, the 29th uh, easiest remaining schedule. The Browns at 20 and the Ravens are the first. And we can also throw the Titans into the mix because who knows you know, what, what may shake out here in the next couple of games. So they could be involved in the, play, in the wild card race as well. They have the third easiest schedule. But if you listen to this show on a consistent basis, you know how I feel about all of that, right? Week-to-week -week league, baby. That's right. You take no game for granted. And the Raiders have, have unfortunately learned that firsthand the hard way with the loss to the Falcons. Again, they should have won and, and nearly surviving last week against the Jets. But as I sit here looking at the schedule right now, the Week 14 schedule for the entire league, you will not find a bigger game. You're not. You're not going to find one. I, I do think that that Browns-Ravens game is going to be important uh, as for the AFC playoff picture. But is, and also, one other thing I want to throw out there as I look at the schedule, as much as it may pain Raider fans this week, you, you're you going to be pulling for the Chiefs. You want a Chiefs win this week over the Dolphins. I mean, think about it for, for just a second. Think about this. This week could could make or break the Raiders' season. With a win and a Dolphins' loss, the Raiders would jump from the 8th spot in the conference right now where they sit all the way up to the 6th seed ahead of the Dolphins because of a better conference record. And the Colts, they'd be ahead of them due to the head-to-head -head tiebreaker that they would have if they win this week. And that would put them in the driver's seat and in control of their own destiny with three games to play, two of those games at home. And should they lose... 
I think it, it's it's lights out, season over, pending some some really crazy things that would have to happen in the final three games, including some much needed help from some of the other teams out there. All I can say is they better come ready to play because what they've put out there the last two weeks that will not get it done this week. There is too much at stake not to come out guns a blazing, totally laser focused, and everyone bringing their best effort. All right, guys, I want to get to my first break uh, before we get to our guest. And, and when I return, we will chat with Stephen Holder of The Athletic. Let's bring in our first guest tonight from The Athletic. Stephen Holder joins us. Stephen has covered the Colts since 2013. Thanks for the time tonight, Stephen, and welcome to Just Pod Baby. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I was reading your piece that is actually up at The Athletic right now, and and in it you pose the question, are the Colts good enough for January football? So I want to start there tonight. You point out some of the inconsistencies that occurred throughout last week's game against the Texans. Could you talk to us about some of those concerns that you saw in that game and, and how you think it relates to this week's matchup against the Raiders? Yeah, so I, I think they're... I guess they're they're less concerns than they are uh, questions. You know what I'm saying? And I guess that's the same thing. But concerns, the connotation with concerns is maybe they're not that good. I actually think they're pretty good. the The question, though, is is a different question. The, the question isn't are they good. The question is are they good enough? And so, um, when I look at the Colts, I see a few things. I see uh, an offense that has moments of you know, I don't want to use the term brilliance loosely, but at times you, you do see it. And you see uh, sort of the acumen of Frank Reich and his play calling. Uh, you see Philip Rivers and his decision making. And then at other times, there's just not a lot of uh, synergy going on. And, and they kind of have these lulls, you know, that, that, that can cause problems. And we saw that in the second half on Sunday against Houston. Uh, they, they couldn't score. And so that was that was certainly – um, a question. And then lately in particular, the defense has done this in a different manner. And I think they have a really good defense. I think this is the best Colts defense I have seen in many, many years, a lot of years, actually. And what's been surprising, though, is they have lately, and I think maybe the last five games, six games, um, maybe going back to right before their bye, they've had this tendency to really start slow in games and it's cost them. They have really had to buckle down in the second halves of games and, and really shut opponents down because they gave up so much early. Uh, for the most part, they have been able to do that, but there have been a couple instances, for example, the second matchup with Tennessee where the defense wasn't able to, to sort of correct the ship, if you will. So um, it, it's just been something that that's kind of, that that's kind of been a recurring issue. And when you see an offense and I think, you know, the Las Vegas offense has the potential uh, to have some, some explosiveness. Um, if they're susceptible to that early, that could put them in a bind. So, so those are kind of the issues. And then the, the last thing, I guess the, the last area was uh, there has been, I think some fans, fans are always, they're always sort of asking questions about the coach, you know, no coach is ever good enough for fans. And so, so that's the case here too. Sometimes I think Frank Reich is a really good coach, uh, but he has some philosophical approaches that fans 
sometimes get frustrated by. And one of them is uh, a tendency to, I think, really take this approach where he wants to involve everybody. And it's not a participation trophy kind of deal, but it kind of feels that way sometimes. But that's not the goal. The goal is he's trying to keep the defense off guard and, and trying to keep them guessing by using all of his personnel. But sometimes I think that takes the ball out of the hands of his best players. And that is where some frustration comes in. So you have a, a scat back sort of Naheem Hines uh, running on fourth and one in a really key situation. They don't get the first down. And obviously people are like, where's Jonathan Taylor? He's 225 pounds, give him the ball. So uh, those are the kinds of things that I think are the questions I'm talking about. They are, uh, n- none of them point to this being a team that, that can't win big games. I just think that those are questions that come up that uh, that that sort of undermine people's uh, thoughts about where they are and where they're going. Yeah, you, you kind of led me perfectly right into my my next question here. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the head coach, Frank Wright. And, of course, he comes over after spending some years as the offensive coordinator with the Chargers as well as the Eagles. And, and one of the staples of those teams under his play calling was having a back that could catch the ball, whether it was Danny Woodhead or or Darren Sproles. And, and now in Indy, it is Naeem Hines. And you just alluded to Hines just a second ago. But could you ex- could, could you explain to us, some of the ways that Reich likes to uh, utilize Hines in this offense? Yeah, so Naheem Hines was uh, part of the the draft class that was taken in Frank Reich's first season here, 2018. And in hindsight, uh, you know, we learned, and it's it's clear why now, but in hindsight we learned that he was really the driving force behind that pick. And, you know, he's talked about this before. You know, he is always – wanted to have a guy like that. You mentioned Woodhead. Uh, Darren Sproles is another one. Uh, that he has had a lot of success with those kinds of backs, and so has Phillip Rivers, too, which is, you know, he, he obviously, Hines predates Phillip Rivers in Indianapolis, but uh, but they have made a really good pair because uh, Phillip Rivers has made a career after, out of throwing to his running backs, you know, be it LaDainian Tomlinson or, uh, you know, Naheem Hines today. So it, it, it's a good pairing uh, the quarterback is, is is a big proponent of throwing to the, the running back, Philip Rivers, and then also the head coach is a big proponent of it, Frank Wright. So it works out well. And, and up until a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember the exact numbers right now, but up until a couple of weeks ago, Naheem Hines was leading them in, in targets, which is kind of, kind of funny, you know, when you think about a team that has, for example, T.Y. Hilton, you know, who's caught uh, a lot of balls for this team and is going to go down as one of their top – receivers in, in franchise history so it, it's worked out well and and i think what it does is it gives them options and it gives defenses pause too because i think sometimes you know defenses they're always leery of the running back coming out of the backfield but let's be honest they pay more attention to some guys than others and naheem hines is a guy they have to always identify because if he got if he gets the ball and he gets it in space he can make you miss and it could be a long day for you if you don't bring them down. So uh, it, it's been a good situation. And the other thing I would say is, though, he he does have traditional running back ability. So it's not as if when you put Naheem Hines in the game, you can just assume it's going to be some sort of perimeter play or, or a pass. Uh, you, you cannot assume that at all. And that's why having him in that role uh, is really valuable. 
Stephen Holder uh, is our guest tonight here on Just Pod Baby. He covers the Colts for The Athletic. You know, Stephen, one of the things that I've really been emphasizing on the show tonight is is the playoff feel that I get with this game. I think both teams badly need this win to keep their playoff hopes alive a little bit more for the Raiders. But based on what you've been, you've heard from players and coaches this week within the Colts organization, do you seem to uh, get the get the feel that you know they're echoing that that same sentiment that that this is kind of an early playoff game for both teams? Yeah, they understand the urgency. I mean, they're you know, they're trying not to talk about it a lot and say they treat every game the same, but they understand what's at stake. And I, I think they also understand the position that they're in because the last time this team was in the playoffs in 2018, they had to pull off a, a minor miracle to get there. Uh, they started one in five in 2018, a lot of injuries early that season, Andrew Luck coming off the shoulder injury and, and really hadn't played for a long time. So there was a lot going on and a new offense and defense as well. So they, they had a completely new staff uh, quarterback coming back after a year out of the lineup. And, and then they had a ton of injuries to boot. So anyway, they start one and five. My point is they had to finish uh, nine and one that season to get into the postseason in their last 10 games. I mean, it's remarkable that they did it, but the pressure was enormous like every single week, it was just massive pressure staring them in the face. And so now they're in a situation where they don't have to do that. Like they have, uh, they're in a good spot, and certainly with the wild card. I mean, whether they, whether they get there uh, with the, uh, with, in terms of the division title is another story, but they're tied now with Tennessee. But, uh, but certainly they're in a good position. Now, this game is important because, for obvious reasons, but it's also important because of who they're playing. And I think, you know, Las Vegas being one of those teams that's chasing them or chasing the wild card spot, um, a loss here helps Las Vegas and it hurts your chances too if you're the Colts. So uh, I think if they win, they have a chance to deal a blow to a team that's chasing them in the wild card and also solidify their place in the race. So it, it is big for those many, many reasons. And again, also keeping pace with Tennessee as well. They still have a chance to win the division. Tennessee has the tiebreaker right now, but uh, the the Colts are still in it. Yeah, and I don't know how you feel about it, but I I think... Uh, when you look at the way things are shaking out, 10 wins is going to be necessary to get in as the wild card uh, team this year. I just don't think nine wins will get it done. And I, I th- obviously, as you mentioned, the Colts are in good shape right now, already having eight. They they still do have a chance at the division crown. But what's your take? You you you, you agree 10 wins probably to, to get in as one of the AFC wild card teams right now? Yeah, I mean, the AFC is pretty tough. I mean, the AFC has been... The, the dominant conference this year in terms of, I just think, you know, competent teams uh, the, the, in terms of the depth of teams, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. I think you're going to have to win 10, even though the, the playoff field has been expanded. It's, it's interesting. You, you might think this would be a year where, you know, nine wins would be enough, but it doesn't look like it will be. I mean, you know, you look at a team like the, the Cleveland Browns, a really strong position at nine and three, they got almost no shot <laughs> at winning their division, you know, and, and I think that gives you a sense of, of where the AFC is. Uh, to, to win the AFC South, for example, you know, not maybe a division that people think of when they think about the strongest divisions in football, but, I mean, you could easily have two 11-5 teams. That could happen in this division. You know, um, certainly you're looking at a strong likelihood of having two 10-6 teams uh, if, if 
things go the way I think they might. And that's with them splitting the final two games. So, yeah, I was going the final four games. So, so I really think that it's going to take a lot in the AFC to get in the postseason. I think 10 and 6 is probably where the bar is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's going to be a really, really interesting finish here the last four games of the season. I, I want to jump over to the defensive side of the ball for my last question. Uh, for many years, uh, and you you mentioned this earlier as well, the, the, the offense has been the strength for the Colts teams through the Peyton Manning years and into the Andrew Luck era. And But that is not the case this season. This, this defense is it's legit. It's it's top five in total yards allowed, uh, very good in, against the run and against the pass. And, and a big reason for that is DeForest Buckner along with the rest of the defensive line. Talk to us about how that line uh, you know, impacts the game, not only from the pass rush standpoint, but also in the run game as well. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of times when people think pass rush, they think sack numbers. And it's kind of odd. The, the Colts are not a big sack team. They don't rank in the top 10, I don't think, in sacks. And even though they had a big game last week, they had – I believe five sacks in Deshaun Watson, but that was a lot of that was coverage and, and Deshaun Watson holding the football and giving them opportunities just because that's the way he plays. But, but generally the, the Colts don't have a ton of sacks. They do though, create a lot of pressure. And I think that's something, look, they'd love to have more sacks, but I think they're happy getting a lot of pressure, even if it comes without sacks, because what they do, the way they play uh, in terms of their coverage it gives them a lot of chances at, at playing the football. And so you're seeing this team, I think, be one of the leaders in turnovers. Uh, they, they certainly have been among the leaders in interceptions this year. And a lot of that goes back to what they're doing up front. Uh, DeForest Buckner, I will tell you, I have covered the NFL since 2005. In fact, covered John Gruden as a beat writer in Tampa for, for some years. And I will tell you, I don't know if I've seen a single defensive player transform a team, transform a defense the way Buckner has. And I know that may be, that may be a surprise to some people, but he has been that good. And it doesn't show in the numbers, but I'll just tell you, just watch him play and the impact that he has. It's, it's phenomenal. He is, he is an absolute stud and I think an all-pro this year. And it has, it has raised the bar for everybody around him. So now you're seeing guys like, Grover Stewart, who's a, a nose tackle not a lot of people know about, a former Division II player, now getting or earning a, a $10 million a year contract this year because of the way he's played. He's been that good, signed that contract two weeks ago. And and I think everyone around DeForest Buckner has, has benefited, including Darius Leonard, uh, who is already an all-pro linebacker and has continued to raise his game. So you're going to see a fast defense. They – they play to the whistle, okay? They they gang tackle probably better than anybody in the league. So it's not going to be a lot of one-on-one tackling. You're going to see two, three, four, five guys tackling the ball carrier because that's the way they play, and that is the, that is what their scheme is built upon. It's built upon keeping things in front of you and then running to the football in mass and, and getting a lot of bodies to the football. So it, it's been fun to watch. i got to tell you, it really has been. And it, it has been, as you said, a departure from the past for Colts fans. I mean, they went 20 years just basically enjoying uh, offensive football. And this has been a change. Their offense is good, too. But, but this is definitely, I think, a team that has won largely because of its defense. All right, Stephen Holder, everyone, from The Athletic. Great job tonight, Stephen. You gave us a great little rundown of the Colts. Uh, really enjoyed chatting with you. And, and thanks again so much for giving us some of your time tonight. 
Anytime. Thanks for having me. Really great spot there with Stephen Holder. And I want to keep things going here tonight on this show. So we're going to go ahead and bring in the next guest uh, here on Just Pod Baby. Our next guest tonight is making his second appearance on the show. We had him on last season when the Raiders and, and Colts faced off. He's kind enough to give us some of his time again tonight. Let's say hello to Kevin Bowen, who covers the Colts for 107.5 The Game in Indianapolis. Kevin, it's nice to chat with you again. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Evan. How you doing? Not too bad. Thanks for asking. Now, uh, a huge game coming up this week for both the Colts and the Raiders. Kind of has a a feel of an early playoff game. And I look at the Week 14 schedule, and and this one by far has the most riding on the line as far as the AFC playoff picture is concerned. Uh, Talk to us about the vibe you've been getting out of the Colts facilities about the urgency of this game. Boy, man, I mean, this is about as big as you're going to get non-division-wise, you know, in the month of December for Week 14. So this is a huge one. You know, the Colts have not done themselves many favors tiebreaker-wise so far. You know, obviously losing two games in the division. Uh, Ironically enough, two games they were favored in the division and then uh, have lost to Baltimore and Cleveland, so two teams that are obviously right there in the the wild-card mix as well. So, uh, that's why this one is so important to them. You know, it probably means a hair more to the Raiders, just considering the record seven and five versus eight and four, and the fact that the Colts do still have, you know, somewhat of a realistic chance of winning the division. But um, still, you know, this is a huge, huge game. Basically, I think the winner has a you know big, big step forward in clinching or being on the verge of clinching a playoff spot with another win or two, and the loser uh, really has got to win out and and probably get a lot of help. Yeah, the way the way the things are shaking out right now in the AFC playoff picture, it looks like <clears throat> excuse me, ten wins is going to be necessary in order to get in. I just don't see uh, a, a nine win team getting in, and obviously things look pretty good right now uh, for the Colts with already with eight wins. But w- w- what's your stance on what it would take for a, a AFC team to get in as a wild card? How many wins? Yeah, you know it, it's funny. You know when the year started, I looked back at last year's standings and saw Pittsburgh at 8-8 eight and eight would have made it had there been seven playoff teams. So, you know, I just assumed 8-8 eight, eight or 9-7 and seven this year, you know, would, would definitely get you in, or at least right there. But now you look at how the AFC has kind of played out over the first you know, 12 games, and it's really a very top-heavy conference for what? The top nine teams, I guess. You know, maybe the Patriots flirting there at 500. But still, I mean, it's, you know, those nine teams that all have a seven wins so far – I I think, you know, I think you got to get to 10, to be honest with you. I, I could see seven teams getting to 10 wins. I know if the Colts are 9-7, and seven, which they, they, you know, have to finish really poorly, they don't have a lot of favorable tiebreakers. There's probably a way, I don't know really how, but the, the, the Colts could get to 10 wins and not make it in just given their tiebreakers. So, you know, I think if you have a favorable, you know, kind of head-to-head or a good conference record and you get to 10, you should be good. But anything lower than that, and boy, um, it's going to be a lot of things you're going to need to have in, in your favor to get in. Our guest is Kevin Bowen. Kevin covers the Colts for 107.5 The Game in Indianapolis. Uh, I want to get back to the matchup now between the Colts and the Raiders. The Colts are coming out to the desert, and they're led by a familiar face in Phillip Rivers for Raiders fans. He's having a, a pretty nice rebound season after a couple down years with the Chargers towards the end of his, his time there. How has his relationship, his previous relationship with, with Frank Wright, helped ease the transition for Rivers now that he's a Colt? Oh, it's been huge, Evan, you know, especially with the lack of offseason um, and, and all of that. I mean, Rivers walked into the door and knew about 90% of the offense, 
you know, the Colts promised him, you know, more of a, uh, first off, a better pass-protecting offensive line. They've given him that. The run game hasn't been as supporting as they would like, but still, it's been decent at times. And I just think Rivers and Reich have out-chess-matched a lot of teams this season, a lot of defenses this year. Uh, again, very quick rhythm. Uh, and what they wanted in Rivers was a guy that could just process things a little bit faster uh, and just be more decisive with the football. And no more apparent than last week. The Colts are on a third-string left tackle. Philip Rivers is battling through a turf toe injury, and he gets the ball out faster than any quarterback in the NFL last week. And so I think they know strengths, weaknesses, those sorts of things. And um, I do think that was a huge, huge factor in the Colts deciding to, uh, you know, give a 38-year-old quarterback $25 million. Now, now speaking of Frank Wright, uh, you know, he he's in his third year. Him and Gruden are both in their third years now with their teams. Uh, he does have the playoff appearance in 2018. But overall, how would you assess the job that Wright has done this year with, with the Colts? Um. You know, I'd probably give it a solid B. You know, when you're 8-4, I mean, that's, that's notable, especially uh, considering what this franchise has done recently. It's the best start since 2014. Having said that, the Colts have had one of the easier schedules in the NFL. But still, I mean, 8-4 at this point, you know, in position to, you know, make the playoffs, although right now in that final spot in the AFC, uh, those are all things I think a Colts fan would sign up for at the start of the year. Now, like I was saying earlier, the fact that you lost to Jacksonville week one is just beyond maddening to Colts fans. And then secondly, uh, you know, you also lost a home game to Tennessee where you were really banged up, but still, you know, you, you kind of got ran off your own field in a, just a huge game um, to kind of give one of whoever the winner was, you know, to put them in the driver's seat of the AFC South. But still, you know, um, they lost their starting running back, Marlon Mack, week one, season opener, second quarter. They lost their starting safety and, and probably their number two wideout, you know, in the first couple games as well. So, hey, you know, some fans will be frustrated with, you know, maybe some inconsistencies on both sides of the ball. That's to be expected. But eight and four, I, I think, is what most fans would would have signed up for if you gave them just kind of realistic expectations, you know, back in September. Now, the Raiders' run defense, they were gashed last week for over 200 yards uh, by the Jets. And I, I think it's fair to say, and you even uh, touched on it, is that the Colts' run game maybe has not been what uh, many would have hoped for this season. But do you think this could be an opportunity for the Colts a, as a get-right game for that rushing attack? I do, um, and, and I think the run game is starting to come on a little bit more uh, you know, when you look at what Jonathan Taylor's given this football team in the last two games he's played, because he was a high-risk close contact uh, COVID-wise for that Tennessee game two weeks ago, and so he had to miss that game. But again, wasn't a positive COVID test, and you know, was obviously asymptomatic, and so or you know, didn't have any symptoms whatsoever, I should say. And um, so he's been fresh and, and healthy, and he had a nice second half and a big win over Green Bay a few weeks ago. And then, you know, really in the fourth quarter last week, he got going, had seven yards per carry for the game against Houston. So I know Houston is not a good run defense team, but Taylor and him coming on and, you know, giving you consistent production, it's taken a bit in his rookie season. But I think he is starting to come on a little bit more. It's been a fluid running back situation since Marlon Mack went down week one, which, you know, has fantasy owners going crazy. But I think now for the last four games of the season, I think Jonathan Taylor is back to that kind of lead back, you know, 16, 18 carry sort of guy. 
I want to ask you now about the defense. They've got a really good unit over there. It all starts with the defensive line, but they've also got a pretty good group of linebackers as well, led by Darius Leonard. Talk to us about the, the group of linebackers and, and what they bring to this defense. Yeah, you know, it's been the most overhauled position group under new general manager. I don't know if I should say new anymore. Been here for three years. But under Chris Ballard, um, they have absolutely, again, just totally revamped it with draft picks up and down the roster, second round all the way to seventh round, draft picks, speed, length, run and strike, all those kind of catchphrases you hear. Um, they have tried to get that into that room. And, you know, they, they made the switch from a 3-4 to a 4-3 um, under, you know, Frank Reich when Chuck Pagano was fired after Chris Ballard's first season here. And I think the main reason was, you know, to get a lot more athletic at linebacker, get sideline to sideline, they're thinking Deshaun Watson, Marcus Mariota at the time, uh, you know, even Lamar Jackson had just, you know, gotten drafted and showed some things late in that 2018 season. You know, the thought was in the AFC, there's a lot of good running quarterbacks and you got to make sure that you try and, you know, cater to that with, you know, again, being a little bit more sideline to sideline. So uh, Leonard gets all the headlines, rightfully so. He hasn't had as crazy of a year like he had his first two seasons, but he still is very deserving of, you know, Pro Bowl, All-Pro accolades, things like that. Just incredibly instinctive and uh, one of the more athletic linebackers in the league. Is uh, Do you have an update for us on, on Bobby Okariki? I know he was uh, missed the game last week, I believe, and he's listed on the injury report. I think he's one of their better coverage linebackers. Uh, are you expecting him to uh, be available this week? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that name up, Evan. Um, I, I am. He practiced... Uh, he practiced Wednesday, but he definitely practiced Thursday. And so I, I, I think that's a good sign for him getting back into the lineup. And they also had Carly Willis come back to practice, a safety who's missed, I think, the last game. Yeah, just one game. Uh, but those are the two guys I would expect, along with Leonard, uh, you know, to be most affiliated with Darren Waller, which, you know, I don't need to remind anyone what, what he can do to impact the game. So Okariki, uh, you know, Stanford guy. Um, similar kind of athletic build and and, and traits to Darius Leonard, um, long and um, you know kind of a just a really more of your kind of third down linebacker. He's been better on rundowns this year, but certainly his asset is in coverage. So I don't think guys like Okariki and Willis, and in general, the Colts have gotten a lot healthier this week. It's a pretty good looking injury report for uh, you know going into a Friday. And then the last one I want to ask you about is, is just the back end of this defense. I know they've got some guys that are playing pretty good right now with uh, Xavier Rhodes and, and Justin Blackman, but you could could you just uh, tell us a little bit about the, the secondary for the Colts? Yeah, let's let's start with Rhodes. Um, you know, the Vikings flat out cut him back in March. You know, a team that originally drafted him in, in round one, and they wanted to save money in the cornerback position. And um, Rhodes has had a resurgent, you know, age 30 season. You know, first time being – a free agent in the NFL. He teamed up with um, some former assistants from his early Minnesota days are, uh, you know, are in the Colts secondary uh, from a coaching standpoint. And he's had a really, really nice season. Their other corner spot has been a bit of an issue. Rocky has seen a high second round pick from two years ago, struggled. TJ Carey, a veteran who came over from Cleveland, has kind of, and I think he's a former Raider. Um, he's actually played a little bit more than rock here as of late. Uh, but then at safety, you brought up Julian Blackman. I mean, we're probably approaching the one-year anniversary of him tearing his ACL. So the fact that he's on, you know, an NFL football field is pretty impressive. But the dude has just been a flat-out stud 
and taking away the football and just making impactful plays at every level of the defense. So really, really good from him early on in the season. Um, and it's been needed because, like I mentioned earlier, Malik Hooker, they're, uh, the, you know, 15th overall pick in 2017. He tore his Achilles, uh, I think, in week three, maybe week two. All right, Kevin Bowen, everyone, uh, covers the Colts for 107.5 The Game in Indianapolis. Kevin, nice to chat with you again. Take care, my friend, and uh, thanks for coming on with me. I appreciate it, Evan. Looking forward to Sunday. And welcome back to Just Pod Baby. Just with some quick thoughts for you here. A couple of great guests for you this week. Big thanks to both Steven and Kevin. And both of our guests agree that this is a huge game for both teams. And you have to keep in mind that both Steven and Kevin, they follow this team on a daily basis. They talk to players, they talk to coaches, and they pointed out that Indy is very well aware of, of what is at stake in this game, despite being in a pretty comfortable position at 8-4. and four. Uh, So I just hope that same sense of urgency is shared inside that Raiders locker room. And I will close with this, uh, as I said in, in segment one. I don't want to be overly dramatic here, but, but in my opinion, Sunday is the season for the Raiders. A win, and things are looking really good, especially with a Dolphins loss. But, If the Raiders lose this game, in my opinion, it's all she wrote. Now, I may be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time, but that is just the way I feel about this right now. And that is going to do it for this week's preview episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, please make sure you click subscribe. Also, give me a follow on Twitter at egro 5 Have a great weekend, everyone. And as always, just win, baby. (laughs) 